This is the Piston Broke Podcast, Episode 6. Welcome to Piston Broke, the podcast where we discuss all things motoring with the people who make it happen. Buckle up and let's get started. Here's your hosts, Darren House and Barry Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Piston Broke podcast and hello to you too, Pats. G'day, Daz. It's great to be back again, isn't it? It certainly is and particularly uh, with the interview that we've got today at the recent historic Sandown meeting put on by the Victorian Historic Racing Register, there was a new car on a static display, a miniature version of an XB Ford Falcon Coupe. Wow, that sounds like a really interesting project. It's getting my blood racing. Well, it'll race a bit more, Bez, when you find out that uh, the vehicle's powered also by a 4-litre V8 engine. So we all have a good V8. Absolutely. There are plans to race the car uh, next year, and they're also going to uh, fit some other classic Aussie muscle car bodies. And uh, just to find out more about it, we've uh, come out to the factory of mini muscle cars in Melbourne, where we're going to speak with Gary Roberts. Gary, welcome to Piston Broke. Yeah, thanks, Daz. Thanks, Baz. Good to be here. Tell us a little bit about the car and uh, the concept behind it. Uh, well... We've been running with the miniature race car category for a little while, and we decided we wanted something a bit more special. We're into our muscle cars, and we thought there was a bit of a a niche there, and um, we wanted something a little bit bigger in the miniature cars uh, that we could put two people in. So we sort of talked over over a beer, came up with a bit of a concept to build our first XB, and a year later, that's what we've got. Why the XB? One of the guys involved, He's a bit of a Ford fan, a bit of a Ford fanatic, and uh, we were toying with the idea of an XY, and then uh, the guy who helped us with the gearbox, Simon Fitzner, said, oh, if you want to make one of these, maybe we could take it to America and make a Mad Max coupe out of it or something, so we thought, oh, well, we'll make the XB first, and we had no really allegiance, so we had to pick one, so that was the one. And uh, how long has it been in the making? Uh, probably the thought process has been a few years. Uh, we spoke about it a bit, and then maybe 18 months or two years ago, we we started to do a few body panels, but didn't really get serious. And then in November last year, uh, we spoke to Chad Cotton, who runs the miniature race cars category, and you know, produced the idea to him, and just said, you know, what do you think about this? And if we build this, you know, will you let us run with it? And he just said, absolutely, run with it. I'm 100% behind you. And we basically came home from that meeting and. Spent every night in the shed since building it. So, Gaz, one of the things that inspired me most was you took us down into the uh, the workshop where you've got your prototype and you started it. And there was this most magnificent sound, the blood-raising, rousing sound of a V8. Tell me more about the motor you've chosen for the vehicle. Well, at the start, um, because we were running a miniature cars, we, just, we, we wanted a motorbike engine because that's what all the miniature cars sort of had, but... We wanted the V8 sound. So we looked at Ducati engines and Harley-Davidson engines. The Harley was probably the best option because it doesn't have a gearbox inside the engine and we could run our transaxle and we could still get our two seats and have the engine in the centre. 
And then um, once again, uh, Simon came up with the idea of maybe we'd try and make our own motorcycle V8. So we're going to use motorcycle barrels and cylinder heads. And we started to look at that and then that was becoming a bit too costly. And um, yeah, we, we didn't want a Ford engine and we didn't want to hold an engine. We, if we're going to make Ford and Holden, you know, the, the Ford and Holden rivalries there, and we didn't want someone to have a Holden and say, oh, I don't want that because it's got a Ford and vice versa. So we found the aluminium Rover V8. We tried the Toyota aluminium V8, and a lot of people have asked about that. But with the um, overhead cam cylinder heads and stuff, it's just a bit too bulky in the top. And the Rover engine fits, and it's probably, to be honest, one of the best sounding V8s around. So we put that in, and, yeah, we're quite happy with it, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. There was nothing quite like that sound, and I can only imagine listening to 20 or 30 of those running around the confines of a racing track. It certainly gets your pulse going. Just tell us a bit more about the the running gear on the car. Okay, so as we've spoken, it's just a Rover uh, Land Rover Discovery fuel-injected 4-litre V8. Uh, we've got the dry sump set up on this one. We're going to try our other car with a wet sump and um, see if we have any issues, but... We probably prefer to run them all dry sump. The cost is mainly the cost. Get the cost down a little bit with a wet sump. Um, then it's got a Tilton five and a half inch clutch setup with a reverse starter bell housing, and our own custom drive, which drives the alternator and the tail shaft to the transaxle, which has been custom made for us by Simon at um, PPG over in Adelaide. And they've just used a quick change. They've done a really good job. They've used a quick change winners which is a super reliable differential. And then they've just taken the drop gears out of that and made a six-speed sequential that goes on the back where the drop gears are. There's a real, they've done a really magnificent job of that for us. It was impressively compact. That was the thing that struck me. There was no waste space anywhere, and I'm assuming the weight is probably the same. Yeah, um, look, the weight, we've got the weight pretty much 50-50. Like I said, that's our prototype. It's just a little bit heavy, that one. Everything's made out of a bit heavier tube. You know, we thought, oh, well, if we're going to cut and shut it and throw stuff away, we'll throw, you know, the less expensive stuff away. But um, we're still happy with the weight that it's coming at. It's around 800 kilos as it sits now. And, like, with our 50-50 weight distribution. And, yeah, we're, we're quite happy with it. At the start, we built the car. Obviously, you try and make it pretty square so it's the weight's even, but... We uh, purposely didn't weigh the car till we were pretty much finished because there's a lot of things that we wanted to put in the car and we didn't want to compromise the car, especially the safety of the car. I'm really big on side intrusion safety and that. We didn't want to compromise that safety just to make the car 20 kilos lighter. Now, when we were in the um, garage looking at it, you explained to me that the chassis on the, uh, the vehicle is modular and it's in four parts. Can you explain the thought processes through that? Thanks, Gus. Yeah, well, that's another thing. Being around um, sports sedans for years and the other guys, and we've had Aussie race cars and like all sorts of categories of cars I've worked on, one of the big things is at the track, if you've got to do plenty of work, you, you want to be able to do it quick and easy. And I think you find when you build a one-off car, you just build it and you put stuff where you think it's going to be good. And then you get to the track and you try and maintain it. It's a real pain. So the chassis is in four parts. So the rollover protection bolts on, and the main reason for that was because the HQ and XY bodies are higher than the XB coupe. The XB is the lowest of the bodies. So a real tall person will struggle to fit in the XB, where that still gives them an option. If we made them all, all the roll cages the same and then put the bigger body on, you're just, you know, reducing the amount of market. So you can still fit someone over six foot in the XB, no problem. So it just caters for those extra people. And then 
Uh, the center section of the car, the crash structure, hold, um, holds the fuel t- fuel tank because we wanted to try and keep that a bit safer if there's any crash or anything like that. And um, the intrusion bars are like GD3 Porsche spec where they stick out. And then the front and rear are both similar. They're a little bit different, but they're similar and they are where we make them. And they bolt on. There's some spikes that it lines up with and you just reel the whole. So you unbolt the tail shaft and there's quick release fittings on the whole car. And you can just unplug the battery, unbolt the tail shaft and undo half a dozen bolts and the whole rear from the rear firewall backwards comes off. So the transaxle, all rear suspension comes off, and the same with the front. So you could have a whole spare front with an engine with a radiator full of water, everything. And if you took the whole front off that car, within an hour, hour and a half, you'd be back out on the track again. So one of the other things that impressed me when I had a look over your XB, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a look at your next prototype, which if you're prepared to discuss, we can get into that. But the absolute authenticity with the original vehicles, and I think uh, what roughly... Uh, in terms of percentage, are they in size for size against the original cars? So they've been um, drawn up on CAD at 80% size of the real car, and we've tried to keep true to that everywhere. So the mirrors and the flutes you see on the rear quarter panels, even the taillights around, have all been 3D printed at 80% from the CAD drawing as well. Um, our grill's all laser cut. Um, grill so that it looks like a proper grill. You know, we just try to really, we didn't want a cartoon car. We want it to really look like, we want people to look at it out on the track. And if you took a photo of 20 of them on the track, it looks like you're in the 70s or the 80s and you're seeing the cars drive around. And, and, uh, we've had that right from the start where, uh, people have come, like we let very few people see it pretty much before Sandown and the few people that have worked on that have taken photos and we say, you know, don't share them but show them to people and then they come back the next day and said, oh, can you take a photo of me standing next to it because they don't believe me that it's a small car and, and that's really what we wanted so we're happy with that. Uh, and as Barry alluded to, you looking at some other bodies, what if I don't like Fords and uh, be a few people... Don't mind me saying that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So obviously, the big thing in Australia, and and it's been tried and tested for fifty, sixty years, and and you've seen major motorsport in Australia go away from it and come back as the Ford versus Holden battle. So we'd be stupid to stick to one make. So the next car, which is three quarters finished, which you saw today, was the HQ Monaro, and um, we're actually going to paint that up in honour of Bob Jane in the orange and with the Southern Motors decals and everything. Our intention is to just have those two bodies at the start. We're going to test both the cars for at least six months next year and then, um, judging by the interest, work out how we go about sell it, building and selling more. And then if we get plenty of interest and sell it quite a few cars, then we'll look at other bodies. And one of the other guys with us is a mad Ford man, so the next has to be an XYGT and then after that maybe a HK Minara. And if I get my way, we'll eventually see a Charger on the track. You haven't run the car yet, so it's a bit hard to know what the performance of it will be. Where do you think it fits in with other sort of mini cars and you're going to be running it at Winton in two weeks' time with motorcycle engine cars? Yeah, um, as you say, there's, we, we don't know 100% how it's going to go. Um, I think there's going to be big um, advantages with the car and there will also be weaknesses. The mo- We've raced the motorcycle engine cars and they're really nippy and you know, plenty of poke, but... Our cars are probably a little bit longer and a little bit wider, so the high-speed corners, it's going to be a lot better. On the tight corners around Winton, um, it's probably going to struggle against those cars, you know. Um, but then out of the corners, it's going, to, it's going to have a lot more torque. So 
We really won't know. On a high-speed track, it would probably be a little bit quicker. The Hayabusa-powered future cars that we run run with have a restrictor, so at places like Sydney Motorsport Park, they uh, lose to the Aussie cars down the straight. They lose about 10 or 15 kilometres an hour. Well, we'll have all that on top. And uh, I alluded to Baz earlier when I showed him the car. I think that one of the things you do when you start racing, if you know, when you get a bit switched on to, is depending on what car you're driving, is the way you drive it. So if you, I, I'd imagine that you know they both hopefully equal out. And uh, if you were driving the coupe and someone behind you with a motorcycle engine car, you know you might slow down a little bit more to stall them on the corner, so you've got the advantage. And and same being, they might do similar things to you. So I think it'll be good. And we don't want the car to be miles out in front. We want to race. That's what we're there for, to race. So whatever we need to do to make it quicker or a little bit slower or whatever, we'll just do it so we've got good racing because that's what we're about. And what about cost? Um, and are you selling them as turnkeys or can owners build them up? So at this stage, our only plan is to sell them as turnkey race cars when we do want to sell them. Um, we have no intention to sell any cars until we've tested them for at least six months. We're really... It's really one of our main focuses. We don't want to sell something that breaks down or has issues. We really want to make them, you know, good, reliable cars. The build cost is still up there because it's a race car and it's got a lot of good stuff in it. So the price of it is going to be low to mid 80000 for a base model wet sump car at this stage. But also that comes into, you know, like I was saying before, um, before last weekend when everybody saw the car, we were sort of thinking maybe we'll sell five or six cars, maybe. And, you know, the sort of the sky might be the limit now. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. We'll ride the wave and see what happens in the next six months with the interest. And if we end up building 20 or 30 cars, well, then obviously the cost might even come down a bit. But at this stage, nothing but turnkey race cars because we want the cars to be out there racing and we don't want them sitting in the shed for four or five years getting built and we want the quality to be the same. So, guys, one of the things that really impressed me as I walked around that vehicle was the attention to detail. It's beautifully put together, and uh, it seems to me that there's quite a bit in there that's adjusted. There's uh, also elements of the car that are uh, fixed. Do you want to go through the philosophy behind the uh, design and the and, and the presentation of the vehicle? Yeah, thanks, Bess. Thanks for the kind words. There's a lot of functionality we wanted to do first. So, like you say, uh, all this uh, wheel alignment adjustments, suspension adjustments can be done on the ground without jacking the car up. So we took our time to make sure there are compromises in the suspension in that we wanted to make the same components all the way around to reduce the amount of components. So in some ways that's good, in some ways it's a little bit bad, but all in all I think it'll still be a fun car to drive. And then like you say, presentation, you know, They've all got it. They've got to look good. So we smartened them up and tried to make everything nice and neat. And as you'll see, like the chassis, there's a lot of rounded stuff. And we don't want to take something out there that doesn't look good. But it's got to look good and it's got a performance function. So that, to be honest with you, that probably took an extra six months of build time just to get all the goals that we wanted to achieve in there. In essence, uh, the difference between a front runner in the uh, in the pack and the back runner is the understanding of setup, I take it, because there are elements that are fixed, but there's a lot of adjustment in suspension and brakes from what I could see. Yeah, 100%. There is there's a lot of adjustment, and you'll always get with every category, you'll get um, people that are right on the ball mechanically, and um, you know they'll go to the nth degree to, to muck around with the alignment specs and, 
and within the parameters that they're given, and, th- and they'll be really good. And then occasionally you get someone who just comes along who will just drive the car no matter how it's set up and still be quicker than everyone else anyway. And that's just how motorsport is. And some people understand that and some people don't, you know, and that's, we'll just see what happens, I guess. And you're building up a transporter, we see. Um, I assume you'll have uh, full servicing at the tracks and uh, you'll be able to look after competitors who have a bit of drama on race day. Yeah, that's right. So we, because we're running with the National Series, we understand also that a couple of, you know, for some people it's a long drive to, to Queensland or to take the time off. So obviously we're going to have a couple of cars of our own. Our transport will be able to carry four, so whether that's, taken some some other competitors who can't otherwise get to further away places or take a whole spare car or two whatever but there's plenty of room in that truck and we've made the truck purposely to take spare parts for the mini muscle cars and so we like if if it became a big series and 20 or 30 cars say we, we could there'll be nothing for us to have four or five fronts and four or five rears with transaxles and engines and everything in there and if someone came in off the track with the whole front missing off their car there's no reason why they should miss the race in two hours time fantastic and just to wrap it up we mentioned that you'll be running the car at winton in a couple of weeks tell us about that meeting and the date Okay, so it's uh, I think it's the 15th, 16th, 17th of November at Winton. It's the last round of the Australian Motor Racing Series. Um, the guys there have been really, really welcoming with us, so they've offered us some testing up at Winton, and on the Friday night of the AMRS, they're going to put on a bit of a thing and display the car for everyone, and it's probably the official unveiling of the car. And then on the weekend, on the Saturday and Sunday to showcase the car more the car will, uh the idea is the car will lead the pack for the miniature race cars out for every race and um that way on the live streaming and on the tv they can talk about the new car coming out next year so we hope that you know i hope people watch it watch the live stream but uh, more to the point get to the track and watch it because if if everyone goes to the track and watches the race and then more cars will come fantastic thanks gary we uh, appreciate your time and telling us about the car and we certainly recommend if you can get to Winton do so because you're just going to love this car uh, and if you can't get to Winton or you just want to find out some more mini muscle cars on Facebook uh, you nearly blew up Facebook I think uh, last weekend at Winton at uh, Historic Sandown or uh, if I get this right it's uh, minimusclecars.com.au yeah that's the one mate yeah thanks again and thanks for you guys for coming out and like I said uh, it wasn't until Friday morning I actually started the car and a well known competitor who um, has been around for a long time just walked up to me and just handed me his wallet and said here take this just take all of it and I thought oh and about a minute later a guy was walking around who we now know as Andrew and he did a bit of a video and a live video and put it on Facebook and I sort of hadn't thought any more of it and that night he sent me a message and said oh, I've broken Facebook and within a day he had a thousand shares and um, I think it was like 50 or 60 thousand likes on his little video of the car and the next day um, Ran who's been helping us out with our, some of our media and stuff and the logos did a little video of me running the car and that's seen about 160 thousand people see that in, in a week so yeah it's a bit overwhelming to be honest. Hit the market on the head, Gaz. Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of another show. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again very soon.